Now on Netflix. Inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and in select theaters. Rated R. And backing the blue. Now, here are your hosts, Captain Ed Mamet and Detective Kevin Schroeder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cop Talk. My name is Kevin Schroeder, retired NYPD detective, and I'm here with my co host, Captain Ed Mamet. Say hello, Ed. Hello, uh, WABC podcast listeners. So, Captain, assaults on NYPD police officers in uniform are up 25%. No one uh, complies with the police when the police officer in uniform asks you to stop and he wants to speak to you about an issue or a crime that may have just happened. And um, there's no compliance. They just walk away, curse the cop, and keep walking away. And then when the cop goes to stop them, then that's when a problem starts. And then you also know when they get arrested, especially here in Manhattan, the DA's office, it's a revolving door. Yeah, well, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say that a big problem here in the city and probably nationwide is these woke DA's. Uh, you know, if they're not going to prosecute, what, what's the point of making an arrest? Right. And, you know, as we know, during BLM demonstrations, there was a lot of uh, police officers who were injured. And not many people were arrested. And when they were arrested, they were out the next day. Meanwhile, the police officer was still in the hospital or outlined to do the injury. Um, and now with these protests, first of all, you need a permit to pro- protest. For a demonstration, you do need a, a permit. A demonstration. Right. Also, you need sound permits. See, that's that's what gets me. You know that uh, there are there is a law on the books that a sound permit is required, and a lot of these people run around with the bullhorns, and nobody does anything about it. Um, you know, you know. Now out in Staten Island, where you had a basic law-abiding community, where they were protesting the uh, the illegals, they were the cops were giving the people a hard time. But when it comes to BLM and these other crazy groups. Uh, they back off. The PD backs off is afraid to touch them. And another point I want to make is the PD should never give up the bridges. They get these demonstrations. They start in Brooklyn, and they should be contained in Brooklyn. What, th- what they do is they let them go over the bridge, they come to Manhattan, and they wreak havoc in Manhattan. And that is a mistake. So what can they do about it? What do you think the Just block off the bridges. Let them demonstrate down by Barclay Square. You know, oh, again, designated area. Designated area. So areas. if you have a permit to be in a designated area, say in Midtown Manhattan, how do you wind up going over a bridge and into Brooklyn and still demonstrating by the Barclay Center? And once the police start to disperse the crowd, that's when the problems happen because that's when they fight back with the police and no one gets arrested and police officers get hurt. It's just a disgrace. Well, you know, I can go back to my, my days in the department when we had major, major demonstrations during the Vietnam War. Uh, the police department was more assertive, more aggressive, but of, of course they weren't limited like they are today. You're on a job at the Vietnam War? Yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> 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 no, there were many, many protests, and the um, uh, some of them you know, got out of hand, but the police department took uh, very swift, aggressive action. Uh, today, you know, the cops are, are limited, like you said before, with the um, uh, they're limited with the chest compression law, uh, the the city not uh, backing you up on the qualified immunity 
concept of law. So there are lots of things that uh, are hindering the police from doing what they really should be doing. I agree. I totally agree. Couldn't agree more. So well, I think the police officers, if they feel that they have the backing of the job, you know, the boss is on a job. I mean, you're a boss, you know, which I believe they do. And the backing of the city, which I'm not so sure about that. City council, we know they don't have the backing there. And the public, I think the average citizen, no matter what neighborhood you live in, whether you're on Park Avenue or you're up in Harlem or you're in Brooklyn somewhere, at the end of the day, all the good people, all the hardworking people do want to see police officers in uniform on post. Well, they certainly do. Um, the question is, uh, how many cops are out there today? You know, they're retiring in such large numbers. Assume we don't have anybody left. Well, again, why is that? Why? I guess because cops don't see any advantage of staying in the police department. They don't have any respect. Uh, you know, it's it's not a calling anymore. It's just a job. Well, it's exactly. It's not a career no more. It's just a right. job. You know, it's it's a stepping stone now to bigger and better things, you know. Um, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of kids I know, young on the job, who they're leaving the police department not to go to the fire department or Nassau or Suffolk County for more pay. They're just leaving because... They're so burnt out and done with it. Okay, anyway, to be continued. Today's guest on Cop Talk is Tom Chetham. Tom is the Senior Vice President of Forensic Services with a company called Sound Thinking, which is actually the parent company of ShotSpotter. He has over 20 years with the ATF. He was ATF Associate Deputy Director, where he promoted Justice Department's adoption of crime, gun intelligence, tools, and tactics. He is also a licensed attorney. Tom, welcome. Well, thanks. I appreciate you guys having me. So, Tom, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, and also explain Shot Spotter to our audience as well. Thank you. Well, sure thing. So, uh, as you mentioned, I retired from ATF. I worked my way up uh, pretty high in the organization. And one of the best things about getting to that level at ATF was I got to travel all over the United States. Uh, representing the men and women of ATF to lots of diverse audiences. And uh, inevitably, uh, when I did, people would ask about my accent. I guess you guys can probably tell it, too. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Just kidding. <laughs> Just yeah, kidding. I, was say. You do. I, thought you had a, I thought you had a Brooklyn accent. I wasn't sure if it was a Brooklyn or the Bronx, but okay. <laughs> now, I was born and raised in uh, West Virginia, and uh, I, as I travel around, I tell people that. I always hear Snickers when I tell them, hey, one of the best things about growing up in West Virginia is from an early age, I already had lots of experience with alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. <laughs> so ATF was a great fit for me. Um, as, as early as I ever wanted to be anything, I wanted to be a Fed. Uh, I thought that meant I wanted to be an FBI agent. But one day my dad said to me, you, you know, I always thought the uh, BATF agents went after the worst criminals. And I, I remember him pronouncing the B. And later I would come to know that that was like fingernails on a chalkboard for folks working at the ATF. Um, and, but he was right. Uh, so I ended up working for ATF. I absolutely loved it. I found my calling there. Um, I, I was absolutely blown away by the uh, bravery, the, the incredible um, uh, skill, talent, uh, commitment, uh, public service from uh, ATF. Um, and I worked my way through the ranks. And as I did that, I spent a lot of time talking about crime gun intelligence. So as you all know, uh, the, the tools, the tactics, uh, the technology of crime gun intelligence is uh, sort of revolutionizing the way uh, law enforcement can investigate gun crime. And of course, one 
one of those tools is shot spot or acoustic gunshot detection. Um, and so as I was approaching retirement, the CEO um, asked me, hey, are you interested in coming over here? Uh, as you mentioned, I'm an attorney, too. And he had a, a position that was sort of tailor-made, I think, for me, uh, that uh, I deal with um, a shot spotter. It's uh, use in the courtroom. Uh, it's use in uh, prosecutions, uh, in investigations, sometimes by defense attorneys. And so uh, last summer, summer of 22, I retired from ATF. I took a week off, went to the beach, and then I came to work here. And uh, you mentioned the company name. So at the time I came here, the company itself was called ShotSpotter. And uh, before I came here, I told the CEO if if he had asked me before um, I, I came uh, to the company, before I started doing my research, what I thought its future was, I thought ah, it's going to be bought out. It's just a single tool. It's gunshot detection. That's all it does. Um, it turns out he has a much bigger vision for the company. He always has. And uh, the company is evolving into a platform of tools. So uh, in addition to the gunshot detection, which continues to be a flagship product for us, we've got uh, like a case management software. A lot of people don't know this, but uh, Found Thinking runs records management for the NYPD. We have uh, a subsidiary company that manages uh, that uh, case management system. And so we bought that a few years, and now it's available to anybody. But nobody ever thought of uh, a case management by ShotSpotter. And so it really was uh, a time in the company's evolution uh, to rebrand, uh, to to highlight the platform, the other, the other tools that we have to offer, not just the gunshot detection, not just the case management, but the patrol management solution, the um, uh, distributed uh, database solution. And so uh, April of this year, the company rebranded to Sound Thinking. Uh, the Sound Obvious is an homage to the origins of the company uh, with the acoustic gunshot detection. Um, and so that's uh, sort of a background of how uh, I got here and, and how the company got to where it is today. So, Tom, uh, when did you actually join ShotSpotter? June 1 of 22. June 1 of 22, okay. And, and the history of uh, ShotSpotter is basically, you know, good? Well, it started in the mid-'90s. Uh, it's a pretty fascinating story. It's a pretty interesting guy who is the star of that story. Uh, the company's founder, a guy named Dr. Bob Schoen, um, lived in uh, California near Silicon Valley, and it, he could hear gunfire near his house. And it occurred to him that he might use the same processes that earthquake scientists use to locate the epicenter of earthquakes. He might use that same a technique to locate where the sound of gunfire originated from. So he developed the prototype of what would become the shot spotter system, tested it, it worked. And that's how shot spotter was born. Um, Dr. Bob is still involved in the company today. Uh, the guy's mind never stops working. And he's always been committed to the idea that the, the best use of technology is for um, a public good. And uh, so it's pretty pretty fascinating. But the company's been around pushing up on 30 years now. Uh, you know, Tom, 
Um, just uh, something anecdotal. You mentioned before the New York City Police Department case management system. When I was in the department, I developed a manual case management system for my local detective squad, which was eventually adapted citywide by the police department. So I was very proud of that. And for that, I got a, a special award. And then uh, in during my retirement, I was asked to consult on the development of the computerized system, which I didn't realize was yours. I didn't know the name of the company. So I, I uh, did some consulting work based on my experience when I was in the department on how to set this thing up. So uh, I just learned something new from you, that your company is the company that developed the computerized case management system for the police department. Yeah. Well, we bought the company that did it uh, several years ago. So now we own it, the company that developed it. And the one that you probably worked with uh, wasn't necessarily part of this this company at the time, but it really is a terrific product. And you know, there's so much, especially today, when there is a, a seemingly endless supply of information that investigators have to organize and sort through, and share with their prosecution team, or risk um, a, a discovery violation that somehow. Um, harms a, a prosecution, you, you really do have to be organized. And technology is really doing a lot to that. Of course, uh, NYPD sets the, the gold standard there. And so, you know, it's a, it's a great thing for us as a company to be able to offer that same product in a uh, generic form to really any organization that needs to track cases. And I guess it could be, <clears throat> it could be meshed in with the, with the ShotSpot uh, product also. Well, that's exactly right. And then that's the idea of having a platform, right? That we have all of these tools, but that they work in concert. So when a shot spotter alert goes off and tells the police, hey, gunfire just occurred here, already it's integrated with the uh, lead generation database. So you can start running queries on things that have occurred in that same location, vehicles or people that are found there. You've got a case management system that can start tracking all of the data that you uh, capture, that you collect. And then when you make arrests and it's time for prosecution, that entire package can be seamlessly transmitted to a prosecution. So it really, it is a platform and it's evolving. And I think all of law enforcement is um, working through this, this progress uh, of, of using technology uh, to harness all of our, our greatest Assets. Can you tell our audience a little more about how it works from a technical aspect, you know, from the beginning of a shot, and, you know, yeah. how, how the information is conveyed to the police? Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, I tell people, if you had asked me before I came to this company how ShotSpotter worked, my best guess would have been magic. It just seems like magic, right? A gun is fired, and within one minute, this company can tell you where it was fired. But it's not magic. It's math and it's science and it's technology and it's harnessed for public good. But it's not actually very complicated, um, at least at a basic level. When you start to look at how the system works, it's incredibly complicated. We've got people with gigantic brains. You can see the steam coming off their heads when they think. Um, but basically, when a gun is fired, the sound travels out in all directions. And we know how fast sound travels, and it hits our sensors that are spread over an area, 
at different times. So it'll reach one sensor slightly faster than another sensor and slightly faster than another sensor. And then calculating the time difference of arrival, uh, we can tell you where that gunfire originated from. We can do it very quickly. And then we transmit that information to our customers, the police, so that they can respond quickly and precisely. And there's a lot of benefits of, of this technology over what some people assume 911 does. And I'm happy to talk about all of that, too. But in a nutshell, that's how the technology works. Our sensors detect the arrival of sound uh, at various sensors, calculate the time difference of arrival, and that's where the, the gunfire started. Yeah. Well, how do you deal with false positives? Let's say a truck uh, or a car goes by and there's a backfire. Or uh, yeah. maybe somebody throws a firecracker or something. That's an explosion. What, 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 how does it uh, react? How does ShotSpotter react to that? So that's a great question. So our system is attuned to loud, impulsive sounds, bangs, booms, or pops. And so if you went outside and slammed your car door, that would make an impulsive sound. Uh, but it's not going to be loud enough to reach three or more sensors. Our sensors are spread out over a large area. And only when three or more detect the same loud, impulsive sound is the system triggered. Um, you know, you could go outside and scream at the top of your lungs, and you might reach um, some of our sensors. But that's not a loud, impulsive sound. Uh, that's not impulsive. Um, only when a loud, impulsive sound reaches three or more. And so that means it has to be loud enough to travel a certain distance. And I mentioned that uh, sound travels in all directions at the same speed. Um, sound propagates omnidirectional, or it spreads out in all directions, like a giant bubble expanding. But the way that gunfire is made, it tends to be very directional. And so uh, sometimes people mistakenly believe that our uh, reviewers only use their ears to distinguish. So uh, I should back up. Um, our system operates automatically, where the sensors detect it, goes through a process of calculating where it starts from. And then we use an uh, algorithm to filter out sounds that are not likely gunfire. Uh, occasionally, the company is accused of being secretive, but it's not secretive. We're a publicly traded company, and a lot of the information about what we do is uh, publicly available in things like patent filings. And so you can go and read the patent about the process that we use to filter out these sounds. Um, once the system has filtered out sounds it thinks uh, are not gunfire, not characteristic of gunfire, they all go to human reviewers. And our human reviewers are the last step before an alert is published. So I mentioned that they also use their ears, but they don't only use their ears. So they're looking at sensor participation. What's the shape of the sensors that detected it? Because the gunfire tends to be directional. What's the distance to the furthest sensor that detected it? Because the sound of gunfire will travel further than a firecracker. Um, they'll look at situational factors. If it's 3 a.m., it's not likely road construction. And they'll also listen for uh, acoustic characteristics. They'll listen for the cadence of gunfire, consistent steady pulse strength. And they'll listen for things that suggest it's not gunfire, uh, like firecrackers with inconsistent pulses, overlapping pulses, whistling, sizzling, popping that comes from like bottle rockets and stuff like that. And using um, all of these techniques and others, uh, we publish our alerts. 
We give all of our customers a financial incentive to let us know when we get it wrong. Um, we give them a discount if we don't meet the high standards that we set. And when they provide us this feedback, we use it to make sure that the system's operating well. And analyzing data across uh, all of our customers for many years, we know our accuracy rate is about 97%. Um, a small fraction of those are false positives. Um, a, a slightly bigger but still a small fraction uh, are false negatives. Uh, the fact of the matter is sometimes we miss gunfire too. Um, and there, there are a number of reasons why that can be. Um, we set certain standards for our system. You know, the the um, uh, gunfire that's outdoors, because gunfire that happens in an enclosure like a car or in a house may not be loud enough to reach our sensors. Small caliber firearms might not. Anyways, to your question, Ed, uh, our accuracy rate is very high. And I think that's the reason that you see us with an incredible customer retention rate because uh, police agencies across the country depend on us to give them timely information about gunfire that happens in their area of operation. I was going to ask you, how many police agencies have participated, are, are participating in your, uh, your program? 150 and growing. Uh, more than 150. When we get to 175, I'll say 175. It's getting pretty close to that right now. Is that worldwide or is that just the states? Well, it is worldwide. It's mostly the states. Uh, uh, overwhelmingly, our customer base um, are domestic law enforcement agencies, mostly uh, cities. Um, we do have a few international customers. We also have some uh, security customers like college campuses and manufacturing facilities, right? The way they use our system is a little bit different. They are primarily concerned about low-frequency, high-consequence events. If a shooting happens on this campus, we need to know immediately and where. But the, the, the best value, the, the greatest use of this product is in places where gunfire goes unreported. And you guys being cops, you, you know this, but a lot of people are surprised that so much gunfire uh, goes unreported in urban areas. Uh, we know from research and our own experience that it's about 80%, sometimes more, goes unreported. And that's for a number of reasons. It's because some uh, communities have resigned themselves to living with it, or they fear retaliation if they're seen calling it in, or they're just not sure if what they heard was gunfire or where it was. And so they don't want to call and just say, I heard something, but I, I can't tell you more than that. Well, that and sounds, so we <laughs> fill that gap. Well, that sounds like the 75th precinct in Brooklyn where I, I spent the year. If you're familiar with that precinct, it's, it's the largest it's in the city right? of New York, and the gunshots uh, were going uh, off all the time. We didn't know if it was gunshots, backfires, or whatever, but you're right. The people got used to it. Uh, they I, do, and they, <laughs> and they live with it, and that's pretty sad. But besides that, I mean, it makes it hard for cops to respond to. You know, it's like, let's say on those rare occasions where someone does call 911, I heard something sound like gunfire somewhere. What do you do? You drive around just hoping you come across a gunshot wound victim? What if you drive through the crime scene? What if you don't find them because they're in the backyard? And so we offer a different approach. We'll tell you right where it was. You can go right there. Yeah, what about privacy concerns? Are there any? Well, there are some. Um, uh, people raise them. Uh, we were concerned about that enough ourselves that we sought an independent audit by actually New York University Law School's policing project. And their conclusion was that our system poses a low risk to individual privacy. 
and the report is publicly available, and they have full access to our uh, all of our policies and our information. You can read it on uh, the Policing Projects website. You can find it on our website. I can send it to you guys. You guys can post it with your show. Um, but uh, for the same reasons that they concluded that, uh, cities like uh, San Francisco and Oakland that have privacy commissions have also concluded the same thing, and they've endorsed using uh, ShotSpotter in their area of operations. As a company, we uh, try to be transparent about that. I, I personally believe that adoption of this sort of technology should have informed input, especially from the communities that are most likely to be impacted. It's the reason we show up at community meetings while we engage with the media, even when they're not always um, uh, fair with us, because we think, look, this, the value of this is incredible. A little bit of understanding goes a long ways towards addressing the misunderstanding. Hey, Tom, uh, any specific cases of ShotSpotter helping out law enforcement? Well, so it's interesting you ask that. Um, uh, first of all, when I was at ATF, you know, I mentioned before, I spent a lot of time talking about crime gun intelligence. Right. And uh, the research shows consistently uh, uh, jurisdictions that use ShotSpotter and follow best practices uh, increase significantly the amount of ballistic evidence they capture the casings that are left behind at shootings. Of course, ballistic imaging like Nibin um, is changing how cops can investigate gun crimes. And so there's probably an untold number of cases that have been helped because police have found casings that they might not have have without ShotSpotter. But it's a little bit different working here in a private company than it was being on the other side of the yellow tape as an investigator. So here at ShotSpotter, sound thinking, when we publish ShotSpotter alerts, for us, they mostly go into the ether. And we don't know if it's a homicide on the other end or celebratory gunfire. We push them to our customers, and then it's up to them. We can tell them the what, the when, and the where. We can't tell them the who. So they have to go and investigate. But occasionally, we do get uh, reports back to us in at least a couple of ways. First of all, officer-involved shootings. Um, and they're so important to us as a company that every officer-involved shooting that comes in, the executive team's immediately notified. And then our forensics unit um, produces a detailed forensic report. That's a, a forensic analysis uh, done by some of our experts here of the same thing that the system detects automatically. But by having an expert manually reproduce a report, they can then go to court and testify about it. So we automatically produce one of those for officer involved shootings, but we also produce them for like routine prosecutions. If a prosecutor wants to use uh, shot spotter evidence at court, we can produce a detailed forensic report to show things like the where, the number of rounds, the timing, that sort of thing. Um, and so uh, the answer to your question is, yeah, there's lots of cases uh, I would not be able to point to one specific um, one right now. Actually, you know, that's not true. Let me give you one other example. Oh, great. Since you asked, Kevin. Great. Um, you may remember uh, a, a couple of months ago now, a terrible shooting in Jacksonville. Um, uh, uh, active shooter goes into a Dollar General and starts shooting people, black people. He wants to kill people because of their race. Right. ShotSpotter detected that shooting and alerted the sheriff's office. 
two minutes faster, nearly two minutes faster than the the soonest 911 call that came in. And as you all know, a lot of active shooter situations only end when either police arrive and shoot the shooter or the shooter uh, kills himself. Um, And I think that that's what happened in this case. And so the police are there two minutes earlier, at least, uh, than they might have been without shot spotter. Um, Even though that case ends with this uh, gunman killing himself, you know, the community still wants answers. They want to know. And if you watch the uh, press conference by the sheriff, uh, the shot spotter information allows them to fix the timing. At this time, at this place, these shots occurred. At this time, this place, these shots occurred. And so uh, the tool has a lot of applicability for law enforcement in lots of different ways. What's the effectiveness of shot spotter versus non-shot spotter outcomes? Well, um, so we have research that shows um, when a shot spotter alert comes in and when a 911 alert comes in on the same shooting, Remember that uh, 911 calls are about uh, only 20% of the shootings. So we detect about, um, uh, we detect four times more, uh, roughly five times more uh, shots than just 911. But when they both come in, on those occasions where there's both a shot spotter alert and a 911 call, research shows that shot spotter is minutes faster and hundreds of feet more accurate. And uh, and that's really important. I mean, uh, when you're talking about gunfire in urban areas, time is of the essence. And when I was at ATF, I mostly thought about investigating, arresting, and prosecuting people for gun offenses. Um, it never really occurred to me, even though it seems so obvious now, hey, there's other uses for this tool as well. And probably the most important one is locating gunshot wound victims. So when four out of five shootings go unreported, that's four out of five potential occasions where a gunshot wound victim needs aid and is not getting it. And uh, as one stark example of that, in a single year in Oakland, California, shot spotter alerted police to more than 100 gunshot wound victims where there was no 911 call. That's a lot of people that wouldn't have gotten aid uh, without shot spotter. And so... Uh, Of course, arresting offenders is important. Uh, Collecting ballistic evidence is important. But timely rendering aid to gunshot wound victims, saving lives, that's more important. Tom, what are the future plans for ShotSpotter? Any future plans? Yeah, well, we continue to do what we've been doing for 20-plus years, which is letting police know about the gunfire that occurs in our area. Uh, The the company's... uh, uh, coverage area continues to grow as more and more police agencies see it as a vital part of their strategy for addressing gun violence. As a company, uh, we are expanding. We're adding new tools to our portfolio. We recently added a weapons detection system using technology to speed up the uh, processing of all the information that we have automating some of those functions that in the past have taken incredible amounts of um, manual effort and making it faster, uh, making police more efficient and, um, and also uh, fairer, uh, bringing more transparency to what it is police are doing. 
Tom, can you let our audience know how they can contact you? Well, the easiest way is to go to our website, soundthinking.com, S-O-U-N-D-T-H-I-N-K-I-N-G, Sound Thinking. Um, you can actually go there. That We've got helpful videos that explain how our technology works, talks about the different platforms. They can always go there. Uh, just hit contact us and reach out. Um, if somebody has questions about how the system works, where we're deployed, how they can get some shot spotter in their community, uh, we'd be happy to talk to them. Fantastic. Thank you, Tom. Captain? Well, uh, it's been a very uh, interesting interview, and uh, I've learned a lot more about Shot Spotter than I knew in the past. Uh, it was put into effect in the New York City Police Department just about the time I retired it. Um, and I can recall the, the, the problems in the beginning were the uh, false positives, but I guess that's been refined uh, to this date. Anyway, thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, Captain, I, I appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. We did have a business change about uh, 2011. Um, uh, I can talk about it at, at length, but uh, it really uh, changed how we were uh, reviewing our alerts and uh, increased our performance considerably. Well, thank you, Tom. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Tom Chittum was our guest today. Thank you, Tom, for being on another episode of Cop Talk. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, and you can follow us on Twitter, at Cop Talk. WABC. That's at Cop Talk WABC. Until next time, be safe out there. Thank you.